Welcome to the Scoop and School podcast. Do they worry you at all? Are you worried? Ridiculous, What's happening, everybody? Welcome to week four of the college football season and Ryder Cup week. We'll have a special guest on later in the show to break down everything Ryder Cup from who to look for to perform well for the U.S., who to perform well for the Euros, who to bet on, everything you need to know about the best event in golf. But first, as always, it's college football and week three brought some pretty interesting outcomes. Um, not always necessarily, you know, the, the full upset, but, but certainly we learned a lot about a lot of teams. And if you recall on the preseason show, I brought up the idea that these historically top teams, talking Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State, were going to be a little more vulnerable this year, replacing as much as they were, most notably those three schools, at the quarterback position. There could have been some lumps this year. That's been the narrative this week. Um, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, are they vulnerable? The answer on Ohio State and Clemson is yes. I want to tap the brakes on using the word vulnerable as it relates to Alabama. Yes, they played a very close game. Uh, they went to Florida. Let's, let's keep in mind, this game was in the swamp. This is one of, one of the most difficult environments in all of college football. And they went on the road and got a win against a top 15 team. So anytime you can do that, you're, you're not vulnerable. It's just the fact that they won a game by two points, a game that they were leading by 20, you know, earlier in the game and let Florida come back, running the ball down their throats. The fact that Florida did it without, you know, who I consider to be their best quarterback in Anthony Richardson. I admittedly didn't see a ton of this game. I was pretty focused on, on Notre Dame. And then uh, once Notre Dame ended, I watched uh, most, really all of the fourth quarter through a, uh, a pretty dirty window trying to watch as much of Alabama and Florida as I could. So didn't see a ton, but the takeaway is that Alabama won the game um, in a tough environment against a good team, and they're going to keep getting better as the year is going on. And I've seen nothing to suggest that anyone before Georgia is really going to give Alabama a hard time. So let's say nervousness level for the Alabama fan base should be about a one and a half out of ten. Clemson, on the other hand, has problems. I don't know what's going on with DJ Uyunglele. Um, that offense is clearly pretty messed up right now. Uh, they, they, at home, beat Georgia Tech 14-8. to um, Just pretty inexcusable. This is a Georgia Tech team that lost in their season opener to Northern Illinois. This is, this is not thought to be a particularly good Georgia Tech team. And I just, I'm wondering what, What's the difference between the DJ Uyunglele that we saw in two games last year versus the one we're seeing this year? It's it's very strange. I mean, he, he lost Cornell Powell to the NFL, but, you know, you get Justin Ross back. They've got other receivers. They've got some running. I just, I don't really understand what's going on with that offense. But if they don't figure it out soon, um, you know, they, they do have the benefit of playing in what this year seems to be a pretty weak ACC. So again, they, they might not lose a game in conference and they could go 11 and one to the ACC championship game. But I would say concern level there for Clemson concern levels, probably about a five or a six. And it would be higher if they didn't have what I would argue is like the second best defense in all of college football. That has been the one, uh, you know, 
expected thing is that their defense has been as good as it's been. Um, their their defense has not allowed a touchdown yet this season. Um, so think about that. They're, they're three games in. Defense has not allowed a touchdown. So they should keep them afloat against most of their opponents. But uh, they're going to have to get the uh, offense figured out pretty soon because, you know, either A, they're not going to make a 14 playoff, you know, even if they're 12 and 1 looking the way they're looking, or B, they're going to get there and they're going to get blown out once they do. But it's September, plenty of time to figure it out. And then the third one, Ohio State, um, you know, CJ Stroud has been okay, not awesome, certainly getting off to slow starts. Um, the defense clamped down when it had to in this one, but, you know, had still given up 20 points um, to to a not very good Tulsa team. And they, they won the game 41 to 20, but this was a this was a one-score game in the fourth quarter. Definitely concerned there. And again, people are going to keep talking about the defense and the problems there. I just think for most of this game, the problem was more on offense, and, and that's where I thought the problem was more against Oregon. So this is about C.J. Stroud kind of figuring it out on the fly and getting better. Um, there's plenty of talent in that quarterback room. And at some point, if they're not performing as well as people are as, as expected, um, there's going to be a chatter about whether a change should be made. And that's, that's usually not going to help the situation. So definitely an interesting situation to keep an eye on. When you've got that much talent in a quarterback room and someone's not playing up to expectations, uh, the chatter is going to start and, and it's just going to – something to monitor. That's, uh, I guess, the best – Best way to say it there. And then uh, a team that didn't need to replace its quarterback, but one that I was was bearish on relative to most of, of you know the country, it seemed, coming into the year was Oklahoma. And that's because Spencer Rattler didn't show a ton last year uh, that made me believe that that he was fit to, to lead this this Oklahoma team, you know, in, in a truly special way on the level of, of Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray or even Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, the defense... Um, though improved, definitely improved, is is not, you know, some juggernaut. And they, they only beat Nebraska by seven points. This is a lowly Nebraska that that lost to that that lost to Illinois and was supposed to lose this game by 60 points. And no, this was a dogfight all the way. Um so Oklahoma definitely some things to worry about there um as as they get into a, a Big 12 schedule that has, you know, Texas, Iowa State, uh Kansas State surely looking like there's something. There's going to be some tests in the Big 12, and and I just, at this point, I don't see Oklahoma getting through the conference slate unscathed. I would say sort of the, the, the game of the weekend, other than the ones I've mentioned that got the most reaction, was Penn State-Auburn. And, you know, a lot of that probably, it was the game day game, had the primetime slot, the whiteout. Penn State wins what was a pretty ugly game, but not really the two teams' faults. The refs, a lot of bad calls going both ways in that one, which was kind of unfortunate for what was a pretty well-played game. But now we've got Penn State. I, I have I don't have it in front of me. I think they're like number five in the in the AP now. Just seems, and again, I guess someone has to be there, but this was not an Auburn team that people had super high expectations for. This is an Auburn team led by Bo Nix, who has really struggled in big games on the road. Um, and, and Penn State was in a dogfight to play out. So obviously you want to win the game and, and great on Penn State for winning. I'm just not sure that we're all of a sudden talking about them as like a playoff contender when, you know, their two big wins at, at Wisconsin and at home against Auburn. I don't know that either of those opponents are that awesome. And, and just watching the games, 
you know, Jahan Dodson, I love the guy. He's one of my favorite receivers in the country. He's kind of all they have. I mean, Noah Kane, who I liked a lot coming into the year as a running back, he's kind of getting his numbers, grinding away, being, you know, getting a lot of carries and, and doing what he needs to do. But they don't have any kind of explosion out of the backfield. Um, you know, so the running game's just not really there. And outside of Dotson, there's not a ton there in the passing game. I just, I don't know. I'd like to pump the brakes a little bit on some of the Penn State love. Uh, and in terms of, you know, what they've actually accomplished this far, um, that's fine. You know, make them five. Again, these rankings don't matter. But, you know, Iowa has certainly been more impressive. And then, you know, just, you know, Alabama's certainly been more. These are, I don't know. I, I feel like we're poo-pooing and it could just be sort of the standards of these teams to begin with. But I mean, Cincinnati's been more impressive. Uh, and, and that brings me to, you know, they, they played against Indiana. Uh, they were down early, fought back, won that game 38-24. This team is is looking the part. Cincinnati's really good. Uh, both sides of the ball, they've been strong. They they battled back when they when they were down for the first time uh, this season. Now they get a week off before playing uh, in South Bend next weekend. So I, I think it's time we start taking Cincinnati pretty seriously. I was talking with friends this weekend. You know, my my playoff pick before the season was Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and now I have to laugh when I say USC. Um, and uh, and you know, they said, "What would you go with now if you could?" And three weeks into the season, I would I would keep the first three the same. Uh, and just replace USC with Cincinnati because I think they're going to be good enough to go undefeated. And if this team goes undefeated, you know, there, there's nothing else out there in the country right now that leads me to believe that anyone with with one or multiple losses should be ahead of an undefeated Cincinnati team that absolutely looks the part so far and uh, and would have a couple of Power Five wins on the resume. Getting ahead of ourselves there, but just want to give a shout out to Cincinnati, who I have really been just about as impressed with them as anyone else this season. Um, Michigan. Let's talk about Michigan quickly. Um, just because this, this ties into some of the Big Ten talk. Um, I'll, get to, I'll get to Michigan State. Uh, I just talked about Penn State. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk that the, the, Big, e, the Big Ten East, that's, that's Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, is, is totally up for grabs. And it might be. Um, again, Preseason, I predicted Michigan to beat Ohio State this year. I had Michigan winning the Big Ten East and, and going to the Big Ten Championship game. I was pretty early on the Michigan hype train this year. And somehow in just three weeks, it seems like the hype train has has surpassed me. Um, definitely, you know, really impressive on defense. Uh, and, and they seem to have an identity, which they've just so brutally lacked in recent years. Offensive line is looking good. But... Let's pump the brakes a little bit because, again, this team just hasn't had to throw the ball yet, uh, and and we have no real evidence that they can. Um, so so let's just I would I would caution everyone to just wait a little bit on some of the Michigan excitement. Um, let's see them get into the Big Ten portion of their schedule. They got Rutgers coming up this week. Uh, they'll have Wisconsin uh, and Michigan State uh, coming up. I think pretty soon after. I don't know the exact dates on those, but let's just. Let's make sure they're not plagued by some of the same issues they have been in recent years uh, before we start, uh, you know, penciling him into to an 11-0 matchup uh, with Ohio State or anything like that. And then, yeah, as I mentioned, Michigan State, um, you know, 38-17 winners at Miami, um, announcing, you know, a, a big step up here in Mel Tucker's second year uh, and, and probably going to be contenders in that division. 
I think the bigger story is on the other side of the ball, though, with with Miami. And I just think that uh, this this I can't imagine Manny Diaz coaching a game for the Hurricanes in 2022. You know, could could they lure uh, Mario Cristobal uh, from Oregon? You know, coming back home to Miami to be the coach there. It's certainly a step down in job, but but could be a step up in in personal preference. Other than that, I just uh, I don't know where the program turns, but it's uh, it's it's certainly not the way they wanted this season to start. And in the ACC, they could they could definitely get things turned around. Um, so let's not completely write off the season, but just given the way that they looked against Michigan State, um, you just it's hard to believe that that they're going to get to where they want to be as a program, um, and and it could sort of be uh, the sun setting on Manny Diaz a little bit, and. Uh, Last major game from the weekend that I'll mention, UCLA and Fresno. You know, this kicked off at, at after 11 Eastern. I uh, I did everything I could to, to stay awake, to watch as much of this as I possibly could. I was not working on a lot of sleep. Um, it was a situation where I just had it on, you know, TV on while lying in bed, and you're just sort of like hearing it while you're half asleep. Ultimately, I didn't quite make it, but what an awesome game it was with the teams trading four touchdowns back and forth in the fourth quarter. Jake Hayner, quarterback for Fresno, just a legendary performance, was getting drilled all night, just made touchdown pass after touchdown pass. The transfer from Washington, we talked about Washington getting just nothing from the quarterback position. He would be helping out there, that's for sure. Um, Across town in L.A., um, Jackson Dart had to step in for an injured Keaton Slovis for USC, and just immediately lit it up. Uh, found a special connection with uh, with Drake London, um, and and looks like a, a pretty good situation uh, offensively for USC moving forward. Will be interesting to see if there's a QB controversy or if Jackson Dart just takes over the job. But uh, after after you know plummeting about as far as they can in terms of a trend line stock watch for USC, the arrow is pointed back up. Um, with with Jackson Dart uh, slinging slinging the old leather uh, the old leather pill around the yard. So props to Jackson Dart, props to Jake Hayner, two really good uh, quarterback performances out west that you might have missed. An unfortunate quarterback performance uh, Friday night. Uh, UCF and Louisville played a really crazy back and forth game, and on the final play of the game, um, you know, just kind of a desperation play. Uh, UCF quarterback Dylan Gabriel uh, got injured. Uh, I, I think I saw somewhere that he might be out for the year, um, but certainly expected to be, um, you know, an injury that he's going to miss a significant amount of time, which is really too bad because he was just having an awesome season. And uh, and you hate to see that for the kid, but it is what it is. With that, I sort of rushed through week three. Um, Oh, one other note I'll mention, Presbyterian. I don't know how closely some of you listeners have been following Presbyterian. They're, uh, you know, a, a Division II um, school. They are the team that uh, they almost never punt. They almost always do onside kicks. They've won their first two games, 84-43 uh, to 43 and 68-3. to 3. Um, Their quarterback, Ren Hefley, uh, threw a uh, – sorry, this was – yeah, okay. He threw, uh, I, I was. I don't know if it's FCS, maybe it's, I don't know, I think it's Division Two. Either way, he threw um, a record 10 touchdown passes uh, earlier this year against St. Andrews. 
Um, and then Presbyterian stepped up to the FCS level to play Campbell um, in, in this most recent week. And uh, they did punt one time, uh, and they lost the game 72 to nothing. So, you know, I, I like the innovation, uh, and it works down at the lower levels, but stepping up to the F, and, you know, this is, they weren't playing Alabama. They were playing FCS Campbell, lost 72 to nothing. And again, that, that same quarterback that threw 10 touchdown passes in a game earlier this year uh, threw seven interceptions in the game against Campbell. So we'll maybe keep an eye on, on any crazy scores from Presbyterian, but uh, after, after a fun two weeks of that story uh, came to a, a crashing halt here in week three. That's it for uh, the week three recap. Um, if you're looking at your your podcast player, you're going to see that there's still quite a bit of time left in this one. So I'll cut this short, and uh, and we will now get on to the week four predictions and uh, and quite a bit of Ryder Cup talk. Here to make some picks for week four, talk about the Ryder Cup, and prove that all you have to do to be a guest on this show is ask. We've got Wilf Pierce. What's going on, buddy? It is an honor to be on here. I'm a newer listener, but honored nonetheless, and happy to be the show's golf correspondent or golf guest anytime you need anyone. I can think there are a couple guys that are going to be really pissed when they found find out that there is a Scoop and Score golf correspondent, and it's not them. <laughs> but I I, uh, I appreciate you joining. We uh, we met earlier this year um, playing playing some golf down in uh, in really really miserable conditions uh, down in North Carolina. But uh, had a lot of fun, and, and we'll get we'll get to the golf um, in a little bit. But but first, you know, the, the name of the game is college football. You're uh, you're going to be attending your second game of the season already this coming weekend. Is that that's correct? Correct. That yeah, that's correct. So, I went I went to the the Maryland home opener. Saw them win as home dogs against West Virginia, and I will be attending the. Missouri BC game in Conti Forum, or sorry, not Conti Forum, Alumni Stadium at BC this weekend. So pretty excited, yeah. Another home dog. We we could be onto a trend there, but we'll we'll save that because there are a couple of games on Thursday. Uh, one on Thursday, and and is, is the other one on Thursday or Friday? Let's just double check so that I have have my information right. Oh no, they're both on Friday. Neither's on Thursday. So let's get to a couple of Friday night games first. Uh, so the first one I want to talk about here is is wake at virginia uh virginia laying four at home uh what any any opening thoughts on on that one um yeah i would uh, yes i like i like virginia in this one i like them at home uh friday night games are kind of fun i i like the atmosphere night game uva i i like them to not only win but cover and it's less of an opinion on virginia i would say and more uh I just don't think Wake Forest is very good. Oof, this is a Wake-friendly podcast. That's going to that's gonna ah. go over tough. But I have to say I'm with you on this one. Um, I, I expect this game to be played in the 30s. And when you're talking about a college game that, that's not going to be a real slugfest, low-scoring game, if it's less than a touchdown, I like to take the favorite there. Uh, I also like that UVA has been more tested, um, you know, playing, playing both Illinois and North Carolina. Um, you know, definitely, definitely a, a tougher test than say Old Dominion and Florida State at this point. Um, so again, it's just I, I think uh, I think this should be a fun game. A lot of points scored if you're not doing anything on Friday night. But again, in, in a in a game where uh, I expect it to be pretty high scoring, let's go ahead and take the the home favorite to cover. Do you, do you have the 
Do you have the over under handy for that one? Because I think for a casual Friday night fan, the over could be a fun bet as long as it hasn't gotten too high. Yeah, we're looking at about 68 and a half is what I'm seeing. Um, I I could see this as like a 42-35 if you want to, if, you know, everybody, nobody wants to root for no points. Um, so I, I at least, it's not irresponsible to take the over in that one is, uh, is what I will say. And then um, an hour later, uh, we've got Liberty at Syracuse. Uh, Syracuse getting six and a, and a half at home. I mean, I'll just, I'll start by saying that no matter what, Syracuse is already performing better than maybe I, I gave them credit for in the uh, in the preseason pod where I, I slandered them pretty hard. Um, but uh, Malik Willis, you know, potential first quarterback off the board in next year's draft coming into town. And I got to say, it reminds me, uh, and this, this, this date is not coming off the top of the head. I, I promise I did have to look this up, but I did know it was a Friday night back in September of 2016 when Lamar Jackson came into the Carrier Dome, uh, put up 610 total yards and five touchdowns. I just have a feeling, I mean, Malik Will is not quite the explosive runner that Lamar Jackson is, but still, still a threat with the legs, certainly a threat with the arms. I think he comes in makes a real name for himself with, with a bit of a stage on a Friday night. And, uh, and I do like Liberty laying uh, the, the six and a half again, under, under a touchdown. I'm going to, I'm going to ride with the favorite. What do you think in that one? Yes, I will. I will be forthcoming with my biases here. I am a Georgetown Hoya. Any chance I get to bet or pick against Syracuse, I will do so. Um, that includes this. Uh, I, I think Liberty is definitely going to win. Um, obviously they're laying what six or six and a half now. So, um, I do like Liberty with less than a touchdown as well. I would say less conviction than Virginia. I think I like Virginia more laying four. Um, but I do, I do think Liberty is going to win this game. You know, it, it's almost a touchdown. So I just, I don't have as strong of a lean on the spread, but I, I I'm with you. And, uh, you know, even though you may not have given them a lot of credit, I still don't think Syracuse is all that great. I, I think that's probably a fair statement. This next one, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you lead us off, and then I'm gonna have to vamp for a few minutes uh, because it's it's sort of what I do here on this show. But uh, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, uh, seeing the line at six and a half right now. Game being played at Soldier Field, equal uh, tickets for for each fan base theoretically. Uh, what do you what do you like in this one? Feel free yeah, to in mind. You're, you're, you're allowed to say whatever you want. I, I know. I know the fan base and the, you know, the, the alumni college of most listeners of this podcast. I understand. Um, I, I got to be honest. I, I think it opened a lot lower than six and a half, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I mean, there was there was a look ahead line in the in the offseason where it was, you know, trending around three, three and a half. It, it opened up this this week on Sunday at about six and a half got down to five and a half, which, which is where I gave it out um, on, on Twitter and, and is now back to six and a half that I'm seeing. So it's been bouncing around five and a half to six and a half. So I think it's fair to say neither team has started how they wanted to. I mean, obviously Notre Dame has not lost a game, but they have not looked maybe as strong as some would like them to in some of those games, Florida State, Toledo. I know you guys have talked about that ad nauseum. Um, I just think this is too many points. So while I do think gun to my head, I'd take Wisconsin to win the game. Six and a half just seems really steep to me. Um, I'd be on Notre Dame here as a neutral, unbiased fan. 
Wisconsin in general laying six and a half against another, you know, legitimate power five team. is just a lot of points to be confident in to begin with anyways, just given how they play football. Um, Notre Dame, I don't think is, you know, I think I kind of agree with all your general preseason predictions of that nine win type team. I, I think they're probably right there. I think six and a half is too steep though. So I, I, I like Notre Dame getting six and a half. Yeah. I mean, coming into this year and I, I did, I mentioned that nine and three, but this was not one of the losses. And I was kind of quietly sort of expecting Andy to roll in this game. Um, it was something that I wasn't talking too much about and was kind of just hoping by the time we got here, I'd be in a position um, to make that prediction. And we're just, I'm a little frustrated because I really think that the last say four Notre Dame teams would have just crushed this Wisconsin team. We were like specifically built to handle what they do. And then another interesting factor is usually over the last, you know, three, four years when Notre Dame has been an underdog, it's because there's been a big talent gap. You know, we're talking about Clemson's and Alabama's and and those kind of games. And that's just not what this is here. Um, Wisconsin seems to be getting a lot of credit for playing Penn State close. You know, Penn State now looking, I think they're fifth in the AP or something like that. But this could be one of those never-ending feedback loops where Penn State is being bolstered by beating Wisconsin and Wisconsin's kind of being propped up by playing a close game against Penn State. And for anyone who actually watched that game, I I just think you're going to have a hard time coming away particularly impressed. Um, Just some some kind of individual matchups in this game. Wisconsin is by far the best offensive line Notre Dame is going to have faced this year. And, you know, attacking offensive lines has arguably been Notre Dame's biggest strength. They've been up there in tackles for a loss, uh, QB pressures, QB sacks. Um, So going up against this much of a a talent jump in offensive line, is Notre Dame going to be able to get that many pressures and tackles for loss? Maybe not. But at the same time, I don't think that Wisconsin has the passing game to make them pay, beating them over the top. And then just on the complete flip side, Wisconsin has by far the best front seven that Notre Dame will have faced this year. And, you know, opposite of of the other matchup, this is Notre Dame's biggest weakness is the offensive line. So I don't see Notre Dame being able to run the ball at all. But theoretically, can their pass blocking be good enough to give enough time to throw over the top and beat Wisconsin with the pass? I think the answer there is yes. So if, if I'm game planning this game, I don't think Wisconsin should ever throw. And I don't think Notre Dame should ever run. Um, I was fully prepared to pick Notre Dame to win this game outright 17 to 14. Um, depending on when you're listening to this, this information could be public or not. Um, it also could turn out to be false, but I've got it on pretty good authority that uh, Notre Dame defensive tackle, sixth year senior captain, he's played more games than anyone in the history of the school, is not going to be playing in this game. And if you need one position to stop this Wisconsin team, defensive tackle is about as important as it gets. I think Wisconsin's going to be able to grab about four yards anytime they need it on the ground. Um, so with that, I'm, I'm adding a touchdown to Wisconsin's score. I'm going from 17-14 NB to 21-17 Wisconsin. Uh, but again, it, it, there's going to be plays out there. And, and if Notre Dame can hit a couple deep shots, um, that that could be the difference. So but um, your general sent sentiment about this is too many points for a game that I think is going to look like a rock fight out there. I totally agree. I think this is a three or four on a, right. on a neutral field as well. So I, I think this is going to be close. 
and and I'm with you. So we we both like uh, we both like Wisconsin outright, but we both like uh, ND plus the points. And hey, Notre Dame fans, I've picked against Notre Dame twice this year already. So uh, hope, hopefully I'm wrong. Uh, hopefully I'm wrong again. What do you got? What do you got on this one? One before we move on to the next one, what is the current over under for that game? I'm curious how low it is. It's uh, I saw it, I think in the, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not low enough. Uh, I'm seeing 46 and a half. I, I, I don't see this game getting anywhere near that. Um, again, I, I just, I just adjusted upwards and I'm at 38. Now you'd need, you know, more than another touchdown on top of that. And I, I don't see it, but, uh, mm-hmm. but again, I, I, I hope Notre Dame wins, you know, 48 to nothing. So Take take the under at your own risk, um, but it, it seems like uh, it seems like a pretty good bet to me. Um, and I, I should mention that is one of my three picks of the week. Um, again, I gave it out at five and a half. It's now six and a half. So if you didn't uh, if you didn't follow it on Twitter and want to get it now, you get an extra point. So uh, so that's uh, that's pretty good news there. Next one we'll mention uh, LSU at Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State getting two and a half at home. What do you think about this one? This is interesting. I was torn on this one. I ultimately got to go with the home dog though. I think I'm, I'm a Mike Leach fan in general. I know it hasn't been the greatest start for him in the SEC, but I mean, winning in the SEC is hard. Winning on the road in the SEC is harder. Um, I, I just, I don't, I, I think UCLA is pretty good, so I, I don't think LSU should be maybe as discouraged with the opener as some of their fans probably are, but I don't know. I, I just think these are two programs headed in different directions. I LSU is, I don't know. I, I just, I think Coach O is a little lost. It's a little championship hangover. I, I know they probably have a more quote-unquote talented roster strictly from a recruiting standpoint, but SEC home dog. I, I like Mississippi State. So I've I've got the words talent disparity written on my paper here. Um, you you certainly you mentioned you know the the environment at Mississippi State, the damn cowbells. That's always gonna be tough. The turning point for me in this one, it was a year ago um, that LSU opened you know opened their post national championship season against Mississippi State and got blown out. And it was you know uh, KJ Costello was gonna win the Heisman for Mississippi State and and Mike Leach was taking SEC by storm. And that was the game that, you know, really kind of humbled LSU and, and gave us these opinions of Mississippi State that didn't turn out to be right, but the opinions about LSU did. And I just, I think this is definitely going to be a bit of a revenge game as, uh, you know, this this Mississippi State kind of handed them the loss that turned uh, turned last season on its head. So I think they get focused up. They, they've looked better, albeit against much weaker competition, over the last two weeks, I think LSU gets it right. Um, and again, as I mentioned, the talent disparity, I think they go and win that game probably by a touchdown. That is our first, uh, that is our first difference, which is, uh, which is always fun. So you'll be on, uh, you'll be on the Bulldogs. I'll be on the Tigers. Let's get to the game. You're going to be at in Chestnut Hill, uh, Missouri at BC, BC getting a point and a half. Are you going to continue to roll with the uh, with the home dog, or is that uh, does that go out the window when it's SEC versus ACC? I think this one's a little different. Before we get to this one, I will say I I, I do place a wager from time to time. I'm I will be on UVA. I will be on Notre Dame. The Syracuse Liberty and the 
LSU, Mississippi State, just not enough conviction. So sure. I, while I like Mississippi State, I just, for, you know, full disclosure, probably staying away from that. Um, now, Missouri, BC, um, I really, really like Jeff Halfley. The ACC is weak. I thought with Chestnut Phil, uh, BC could, you know, honestly threaten to win nine or 10 games because other than their, their game at Clemson, there's not a single game on the schedule where they're going to be more than like three or four point dogs. That's with Phil, of course. Now that he's out for the year, I just, in good faith, I, this just screams Missouri to me. I think we probably will agree on this just based on your fanhood and your understanding of BC and, um, you know, SEC versus ACC, obviously, um, Missouri lost that game to Kentucky, but it was a tight one. BC has played absolutely nobody. Now they've won the games by wide margins as they should have, but it still doesn't mean much. I mean, it's been Colgate, UMass and Temple and, and their new starter, the, the former backup only got to play in Temple last week. It's a bit of a unique situation with him where he did actually play last year and had almost 500 yards against UVA. So he kind of has, he is a very low floor, high ceiling backup type guy where I think he threw, I want to say it was four TDs, three interceptions or something along those lines in the UVA game last year. So he has the firepower that most backup quarterbacks probably don't have, but I just, I, I think Missouri's offense is really, really good. And I don't think BC can score that many points. So I, I like Missouri. Yeah, you mentioned Dennis Grossel coming in um, for, uh, for BC, replacing injured Phil Dracovic. And when I was going to see, oh, who is the backup? Because, you know, this, this is, podcast was pretty high on BC's prospects coming into the year. I was pretty shocked to see his name and that he was still around, um, you know, in this, especially in this era of quarterbacks, you know, just always moving if, if they get a taste of playing time and then and then get put back uh, on the bench, they're they're often looking to move. So definitely a a, a solid backup to have. But again, he he came in, played against Temple last week, and was something of like seven of fifteen for I think fifty nine yards. So certainly didn't need to do more to win that game comfortably, but didn't do a lot to make you feel great. And uh, I, I I agree uh, with what you said about Missouri. You know, pretty pretty solid offense there. Um, uh, Basilak, Connor Basilak, the quarterback has, has been good this season. And I'm just looking just strictly from a betting perspective, X's and O's out the window. This is an, this is an, und, uh, a, a, a road favorite with a loss going to play an undefeated team at home. I just think, you know, the very, very novice better says, okay, I've got an undefeated team playing at home, getting points against a team with a loss. This just, it's, it's similar in college basketball. One of my favorite things is the, um, the favorite, the unranked favorite against the ranked team is just an automatic bet for me in college basketball. Similar vibes here. So uh, we'll, we'll both roll with Missouri in that one. And again, you'll, you'll be on the ground to, uh, if you need to provide any updates, you know, leading up to kickoff, you'll be able to, uh, you'll be able to do that for us. I should mention all of these games so far and the next two as well are at noon. Um, this is mm -hmm. the kind of Saturday where, you know, get in front of a TV from about noon to five, see how the, some of the three thirty games are going, but you, you can plan yourself an evening. There's, there's nothing going on in the night slate in this game. Uh, next one, we'll talk about Texas tech 
at Texas. Last I saw, Texas is an eight-point favorite in this one. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I nothing you know gives me a, a better chuckle than when people say Texas is back and Texas loses. It's always fun from a you know neutral fans perspective. I don't think that's going to be this week. I mean, obviously they've already had a disappointment this year, but um, I think they're, it, this is like a talent disparity type game. It's at home. I don't have a super strong lean on the spread. I probably won't be betting it. I do think Texas wins. You know, I probably would also take them on the spread. I don't think I'm going to actually bet it, but if I had to gun to my head pick, but I, I just don't think Texas Tech is going to be able to compete in this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly with you, um, and I found this to be one of the most challenging against the spread picks uh, on this list. Um, Texas made the change to Casey Thompson, something that I was advocating for in the preseason, uh, so I, I do think their, uh, their trend line points up. You know, if this was seven, I would say lay the points and, and take Texas, um, but at eight, I just, I like it a lot less. That, that point makes a big difference to me, so I, I would just kind of without much conviction, I would, I would take the points. Texas tech has been solid this year. Um, they've got the, they got the kid that used to be at Oregon at quarterback. Who's been doing a nice job, uh, a good performance against Houston earlier in the year. So I think I've seen enough from Texas tech that they can probably keep this, uh, keep this relatively close. And again, this is not necessarily Texas tech, uh, of old where we can expect this game to get into the forties or fifties. They're playing a little more defense now. Um, so that eight points means a little more now than it did in the Mahomes days or, or anything like that. Um, and then the last, the last noon game we'll mention, uh, a program near and dear to the Scoop and Score podcast. You've got Utah State hosting Boise State. Boise State coming off just an absolute hose job uh, in, their, in their loss last weekend. Uh, you know, a situation where picked up a fumble, returned it for a touchdown, play got blown dead. And, uh, and, they, and they didn't end up getting the touchdown on the drive. So they're going to come in salty. I mean, this is a, you know, a pretty strong one and two team, um, you know, coming in with losses to, to you know, a, a really strong UCF team and then, and then a, a power five Oklahoma State. So what do you see in this one? Um, the, the Aggies of, of Utah State getting nine and a half at home in the big CBS window for, uh, for the two Mountain West teams. I think I have to let you go first with the Utah State Aggies. I don't want to cloud anything here. I'm less informed. I do have an opinion on this one, but I want you to go first. I got to okay. hear it. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the point about Boise State probably coming in angry doesn't bode super well. But there, I'll be damned if this podcast is not going to take nine and a half points at home on CBS. So we're riding with the Aggies. What you might want to do is wait for the second half. Cause as we've told you, this is a second half team. I ran the numbers in just three games this year. Utah state is outscoring its opponents 75 to 41 in the second half. So let Boise state go up by their 10 points at halftime, wherever you want. And then hammer that live line when it gets to like 17 or whatever you want, we're going to come back and win outright. If you want to hit the money line at like plus, you know, 390 or something, I don't, whatever it would be at that point. That's what we're going to do. Aggies all the way. Uh, hit them in the second half. That, that's, that's the play there. All right. All right. Uh, I, you know, again, not to insult the listeners of this podcast and Aggie Nation, um, 
My, I, I'm just being a little more objective about it, kind of narrative driven, like you said, with the Missouri BC narrative. Um, I, I liked Boise simply because of the reasons you talked about what happened to him last week. I, I know the spread has gone down to nine and a half. Um, so maybe we compromise. Maybe we settle on Boise first half, whatever, whatever that is, probably right around minus five, less than a touchdown sort of thing. Assume they come out hot, they come out angry and go up by a touchdown or more at half. So maybe we can compromise there. I was leaning to Boise though, I, purely on narrative and just kind of the circumstances around their start to the season. I know that Boise is a hot, you know, non-power five team. Historically, everyone knows the Oklahoma game, all that stuff, but there are a lot of the public that also sees their one and two. Um, so I think narrative wise, I was on Boise, but maybe, maybe we'll compromise and go Boise first half. I like that. Okay. We, we're, I, I can't promise I'm going to get on the Broncos in the first half, but anyone who does, I support, I support the reasoning behind it. And then we hammer Utah state second half jumping ahead to three thirty, And for people that follow college football closely, they just know that this game is always incredibly stupid. Um, it's going to be played at Jerry world in, in Arlington. Um, and it's, it's Texas A&M against Arkansas and in the last several years, Texas A&M has been a much better team. And this game just always comes down to something, you know, it's, it's always just like a four point game and just team, both teams doing stupid things. Um, seeing the line at five and a half right now in favor of Texas A&M. Uh, what do you have for me in this one? Yeah, this is a, this is a tough one. Um, this is one that I probably <clears throat> on my own card, I'm going to stay away from. I think obviously coming into the year, AM was probably the more talented, more highly renowned, higher rated team of the two. I, 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 I'm struggling. I think they will win outright. I do. It, it's less than a touchdown. So purely on talent alone, neutral side, I was leaning towards AM. Probably a stay away tri- strictly because I think Arkansas is pet, pesky. I think they are, they're gritty. They've obviously shown that to start out the year. So it's probably a stay away from me, I, I think. Um, but if I had to pick, I, even though it's been chaotic, I would go A&M purely on the, I think there's a pretty good talent gap here. Yeah, this game has a lot of Notre Dame-Wisconsin vibes, um, right down to being the exact same spread. All, all, well, now this one's at five and a half, and, and, and Notre Dame is at six and a half. But similar spread, um, neutral site. Two good defenses. Um, I expect this one to be pretty low scoring. You know, Arkansas is a team that likes to run the rock this year. Um, you know, Zach Calzada stepping in for Texas A&M um, has, you know, he, he looked a lot better last week than he did when he had to come in unexpectedly against Colorado. So I think ultimately they do enough to get the win, but I will take the five and a half just because I, I do expect this to come down to a field goal and I expect it to be played you know, in the, in the low to mid twenties. So anytime that we can get a, uh, get a score kind of down in that range and, and take points in, in what we expect to be a close game, that's what we're going to do. So uh, I will take A&M to get the win Arkansas state plus the five and a half on the cover. Uh, we're going to skip over Clemson NC state, but I just want to let everyone know, Hey, it's a game you can keep an eye on. Um, Cause Clemson unclear what's going on there. We won't spend any more time on it. Um, but, uh, but keep an eye. Um, Iowa State at Baylor. 
seeing this one as a seven point spread. Um, Iowa State minus seven. Any any opinion on that one? This is tough because obviously, you know, especially on your season preview podcast, a lot of people were high on Iowa State coming into the year. Got absolutely just shellacked by Iowa. Um, I, I still think, you know, I still have faith. I, I, I'm taking Iowa State here. I, I would prefer six and a half, obviously, but the fact it's not seven and a half or eight means I'm probably still leaning towards Iowa State. I, I don't know if it'll be on my card, but I do think pick them style. I'm going to go Iowa State. I think, I think they are still good. I think they're going to win a lot of games this year. I, you know, everyone, they had so many experienced guys returning. I know a lot of people thought they were going to take the next step, maybe beat Iowa and, and challenge for the big 12. Not sure that's in the cards, but I do like them to beat Baylor here by, by a good amount. I, uh, I agree with everything you said. Um, you know, Baylor has really not played anyone. Um, Iowa state, at least by playing Iowa gets, gets a tough test there. And, and they're at the point now, you know, the, the, the undefeated season and, and worrying about Iowa is out the window. And now they can just focus on the big 12 schedule. And unless we were just all completely wrong about the talent on this team, they should write themselves focus up for this big 12 stretch and beat a Baylor team that despite improving is still, I'd say a year away. Um, and I like what you said about, you know, at seven and a half, we'd be a little concerned, but at seven, that just almost seems like a free roll. They should win this game by a touchdown and, and try and, try and tack on more. So everything you said, I agree with. Uh, let's and roll and I don't, yeah. I don't know if this narrative happens. I should probably, you know, get someone's ear that's been in a locker room before, but it totally seems like the type of game where Iowa state got, had their sets, their sights set on Iowa, they lost. And now they're going to come out and really, really try to prove a point. Coach is going to want to run it up and, and really try to drive home, hey, this Iowa State team still is good. We are going to be a force to be reckoned with in November, December. I don't know if that's how coaches actually think about it, but I, I could certainly see Iowa State running the ball well into the fourth quarter and trying to score a lot of points. Um, yeah, totally agree. Um, Rutgers at Michigan. This is uh, every year when these two teams play. I remind everyone to uh, Google the 2016 Rutgers Michigan box score because it remains one of the most amazing things uh, that I've ever seen. But I expect it to be a pretty different story here in 2021. Uh, Rutgers getting 20 and a half um, was was at 18 and a half earlier in the week. Um, what uh, what do you think about this one? I'm a sucker for a good story. Love the Shiano going back to Rutgers narrative. I just I love Rutgers to cover in this game. Do I think they're going to win? Absolutely not. Uh, but 20 and a half is just a ton of points. It's a very fun bet to have to be getting 20 and a half points. It's, I mean, you know, knock on wood here with Rutgers, but you're going to be well into the third, fourth quarter. Even if you lose the bet, it is just a good bet to keep throughout the game. So I'm on Shiano. I think that they are not, going to do all that much damage this year in the big 10. I mean, their schedule is absolutely brutal, but uh, I just like what he's building there. They're tough. I, I think 20 and a half is just too many points. Yeah. I, I certainly think 20 and a half is too many considering I gave it out uh, at plus 18 and a half uh, earlier in the week and liked it there. I might've also forgotten to mention that LSU minus two and a half is one of my official uh, picks as well. So Notre Dame, LSU, 
and and Rutgers are the three picks that I like the most this week. With this one, this is just a different Rutgers team. I mean, obviously, Shiano, you know, has things moving in the right direction from a coaching standpoint, but they've got some playmakers. Um, you know, when you look at running back Isaiah Pacheco, um, Bo Melton, and actually Wisconsin transfer um, Aaron Cruikshank on the outside, there's an argument to be made that they have as good of weapons as Michigan does. I just expect them to play this game close enough that Michigan is going to have to show something in the air, which they really haven't had to do at any point this year. Uh, and I'm with you. I think, I think Michigan wins the game. I don't think it's particularly close, but I think this falls kind of in the 10 to 17 point range. Uh, and, and you can probably feel pretty good. Um, you know, at some, you know, if you're, if you're down seven or something, seven or 10 in the fourth quarter, you're going to feel pretty good about the 20 and a half that you're getting. So I'm with you. I think this is uh, this is a much improved Rutgers team. I don't think they just completely fold uh, by being, you know, you know, 40 carries for Michigan uh, ends this game or anything like that. So I expect it to be, you know, not close, but but at least a competitive game. Uh, and Rutgers continues to prove that they belong in the conference. So anything, uh, any other parting thoughts on on the college football weekend uh, before we get into uh, the, the the most patriotic time of year? No, no. I mean, this is a pretty good slate for, for September. A couple, a couple good, interesting neutral site games. I just want to hold myself accountable. You know, listeners, I want them to hold me accountable. So here are my five official picks. All right. So I'm going to go UVA minus four on Friday night. I like Notre Dame to cover at noon on Saturday. Um, I will be at the game. So I have to take something and I'm going to go Missouri. I think it's one and a half now you said, so Missouri laying one and a half. Um, Going to go Boise State, but I'll go with the first half line. I don't know what it is, but if the whole game's nine and a half, it's got to be around five. Yep. And Rutgers to cover, we are certainly going to agree there. Nothing like uh, rooting for Shiano. So those are the five picks and, and see how it goes. And let's talk some golf. So the Ryder Cup, it is, I, I am a casual golf fan. Um, I, you know, I'm not tuning in just for, for the most part, not tuning in for non-majors on a, on a Sunday afternoon. Um, but, you know, I, I try to stay aware, but the Ryder Cup gets the blood pumping a little bit. Um, it makes me, I, I was saying to some friends, I mean, I think that Victor Hovland, he's a guy that I root for in my day-to-day -day life. I hope that he just, I hope he whiffs out there. You know, I, I am so strongly rooting against these Euros. And, and again, guys that, you know, if it's, if it's not Ryder Cup season, seem, you know, not, not all of them, Ian Poulter can go to hell, but a lot of them seem like great guys. And, uh, and, and it just, I don't know, nothing quite like team golf. I love team golf. So tell me, what do we need to know? I mean, my, my 10,000 foot view, when I look at these two rosters on us soil, you know, whistling straights, we've, we've been working the course to make it as agreeable to our, you know, st standard of play as possible. Tell me why we're not just going to kill this European team. It's a good question. I'll start off for the viewers by saying, or the listeners by saying, I am a huge golf nerd. So we're coming at it from a very different perspective. I, I pretty much pay attention every single week to the PGA event. I'm in a season long pool, all that stuff. Um, I echo your sentiments though, that there is nothing better than team golf. It, it, We'll get into the betting in a second. I, I, I don't think it's necessarily the greatest betting event, just given the field size and how small it is and all that. But from a viewing perspective, it doesn't get better than this. 
Friday through Sunday, it is ideal, you know, double sessions Friday, double sessions Saturday, and then 12 singles matches Sunday. So I agree with you. It's probably my favorite golf event on the calendar. Now, turning to the, the two obvious advantages the U.S. has is their average world ranking on the team is nine, which is insane. Now, they have been have an average world ranking below 15 five times before, and they are one in four in those Ryder Cups. Um, so I don't think it's a bad thing to be ranked highly, but simply saying it doesn't necessarily always correlate to winning. So I think the U.S. Ro roster is undeniably deeper, one through 12, than the European roster, 100%. Um, now, as a reminder, though, only eight guys play in each session, Friday and Saturday. Now, of course, everyone plays in singles on Sunday, but um, nine through 12, less important, though, still matters. Uh, the other thing would be the home course advantage of whistling and the fact that us is basically Taylor designing the course to fit the strengths of the team, which is very long, short, rough, and likely middle pins. So more accessible pins, less importance on putting and short iron play and that sort of thing. Um, so all that to be said, the, in the last 12 Ryder cups, Europe is nine and three. I don't have the stats on hand in terms of what the average world ranking of each team was going into those, but I'm, I'm, I'm confident that you, the U S was higher rated in nearly, if not all 12 of those. Um, simply put, I think the Europeans are just better strategically at the Ryder cup. Do they, think, do they, do they care more? Could that, is that part of it as well? I think so. So I think there's the, I think there are two aspects of it. One, I think they do care more. And, and I say that in a sense of they love the team aspect. They are willing to kind of throw all egos to the side and, and do whatever role each person is assigned, do whatever is necessary. And it's really, truly a fun team atmosphere. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to look. And it just seems like those guys are having more fun. There's a little more camaraderie than the U.S. I mean, the U.S., it's to me, I think JT and Spieth is a bit of a new era where they really like this Ryder Cup stuff. But to me, it was always like 12 hyper competitive individuals, all the PGA guys like Brooks and Bryson, they're basically their own corporation around them. And I think there's so much pressure on them to win because they are a big favorite at home that it's less fun and more pressure that if they don't win, they've blown something. Um, so I certainly think there's a lot of people that, it, you know, there's the cliche that you want to be an underdog in the Ryder cup. Obviously I don't think that's entirely true, but I think that, you know, team environment wise, it certainly makes for easier bulletin board material and easier to get guys fired up. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned just sort of the mentality and I, I, obviously I think, I think JT and Spieth are guys that are kind of taking on the mantle of, of leading the American team. I think that Xander is, is the kind of guy that's going to, you know, really, you know, coming off a gold medal, he, he knows what it's like to, to play for country and, and he's going to fit right in. Um, I, I think Colin's going to fit right in. Dustin has shown before that he can. And I, I think, and, and I'll let you, you know, who knows, we, we haven't talked before about your thoughts. If you have any players that you specifically like, I think Daniel Berger has the mentality that he's going to, he's going to step up and, and fill a really nice role here. But then it's the guys like Brooks and Bryson who, you know, not, not only hate each other, but have just typically been guys that seem to be more out for, you know, 
themselves. I mean, you know, Brooks has been pretty clear about he cares about going out and winning majors and, and the rest of it is sort of just whatever and can't have that mentality in the Ryder Cup. So uh, any, any dis, you know, of, of those guys I mentioned, is, is there any, do you see specific value in say going over or under say specific point totals for, for any of those guys? Yeah. So as I said a little at, at the intro, it's, it's a hard event to bet because mm-hmm. there's simply just not that many lines and fun props. Um, I, here are the things I would say, first of all, I, I, this is very, uh, you know, not non-patriotic of me. If you're going to bet the overall Ryder cup, just the winner, I don't know how you cannot take Europe plus 210. They're roughly right around there. They, they're nine and three in their last 12. And I don't really care what the talent depth is and whose home course it's on and how they, they've styled the course. It is simply too small sample size wise of an event for anyone to be plus 210. It just doesn't make sense to me. So if, if someone wants to just have a bet for good value and maybe peak here or there throughout the weekend, that has to be the bet for me. Now, now a, question, a question and a comment on that. When you take the plus 210, um, and again, I think anyone that's still listening at this point probably knows this, but if it's, you know, it can be a tie and yeah. then the team that had the cup retains the cup. If you bet that plus 210 and it's a tie and they retain the cup, are you, are you a winner? Is that just who ends up with the cup or do you have to win outright? I believe you have to win outright because the odds I'm seeing right here. So normally if we have a money line for a football game, for example, Wisconsin minus 240, Notre Dame plus 220, and there's a little juice in there. The line I'm looking at right now is U.S. is minus 185, Europe is plus 210, and then there's a draw option in the middle there. So I I believe it is simply points scored in this Ryder Cup, not necessarily who retains the cup. Okay, and then the second note I'll just give on on that statement is, you know, despite, I think, what you said making a lot of sense, and and if you're going to play a side, take the dog, no matter who the dog is. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast and you bet on Europe to win the Ryder cup, uh, I would prefer that you unsubscribe from the podcast <laughs> and I don't want to talk to you in life. I want anyway, to be clear. I want to be clear. I'm not betting that. No, I, and I, I wouldn't expect you to, but I, and I, I, I understand you, you give the listeners kind of uh, your, your best expert opinion and logically it makes sense, but just not, not today, not today. Europe. Okay. So, so for more fun bets though, here are a couple that I have circled, and in terms of specific players, I can get into that. So there's a chance to win up to five points because there's four ball, which is best ball, and foursomes, which is alternating shot, each of Friday and Saturday, and eight of 12 guys play in that, and then there's singles on Sunday. So you can win five, but a lot of – most guys don't even play all five sessions, especially at a grueling long course like Whistling Straits. So a fun bet is – the top point scorer on each team. So the top US point scorer and the top Europe point scorer. So the first thing to think of in that is who is going to play at least probably four of the five sessions. Now in Europe, John Rahm and Rory are undoubtedly going to play every session, I would say, just looking at their roster. And I think even though he's a rookie, I think Victor is going to play a lot. And I, I don't have any inside knowledge. I actually have been following more of the U.S. pairings than Europe this week. But I like Victor's odds, which let me pull them up right here. I have them right here. I like Victor to be the top European point scorer because all of the 
attention, rightfully so, goes to Ron and Rory. Victor is seven to one to be the top European point scorer. I think that's a fun bet. Um, you know, Ron and Rory are unbelievable, but I think Victor's going to play four, if not five sessions. So I like him there. I mean, what do you think about Europe? Do you have any strong views on the Europe team? I have one strong view on Europe, and that's uh, Bern Weisberger. Okay. <laughs> Every single year in the Ryder Cup, there is a golfer that I've never heard of, and he shoves it down our throats. And in this particular instance, I'm looking at the roster. There is only one golfer that I've never heard of, and his name is Burned Weisberger. So whatever that guy's over-under total is, play the over. I, I don't know. You know, I, I doubt he's going to be the highest uh, point score, you know, if he's only playing two or three sessions. But uh, he's, he's going to be a killer. I can, already, I can already tell. I don't hate that strategy. I, I kind of agree with you narrative-wise. The funny thing about him, too, is they have a different qualifying system. So nine guys qualify out of 12, whereas we're six. It was very public that their picks were going to be uh, not including Weisberger if he did not get the ninth spot. And he backdoored that ninth auto qualifying spot. So there's a narrative out there that they didn't even want him on the team, which I think is even more reason, and I agree with you, to take his over. Because that is the classic guy that randomly goes out and wins a match or two, and he has an over-under of 0.5 or 1. So that's a funny one. For the U.S. team, here's an interesting stat. Since 1995, only one U.S. player has won four or more points in a single Ryder Cup. That is wild. I mean, that is 13 Ryder Cups, including this one. So so the past 12 Ryder Cups, only one guy has won four points or more in, in one. And that was JT last year when the U.S. got crushed, which means the rest of the U.S. team did absolutely nothing. Um, I think him and Spieth are kind of the Ram and Rory of this group. I think they're going to play at least four sessions, maybe five. I have heard that maybe no one's playing five just because of how grueling whistling is. So JT and Spieth are great. I think for a little more value because they are the top two odds getters. I like either Cantlay or Xander. They are going to be paired together. Uh, They were at the president's cup. It's kind of hinted that they're going to be paired together this time. Personally, I like Cantlay. I just think he's a, a stone-cold assassin. Um, but since they're together, they win all the points together other than singles. So I think either one of those is a really good value bet. I think they're going to get at least four sessions in as long as they play okay. And for top American score, I just want to make sure I have the, the most updated odds here. Yeah, Cantlay is seven and a half to one, and Xander's eight to one. So I think either one of those would be fun bets. I like that. I like that a lot, um, and that gives you an opportunity to bet both and and have plenty of room for profit there um, at at plus seven fifty and plus eight hundred. Question: I mean, you mentioned um, you know possibly trying to go for easy easy pins for putting purposes. I guess when you're when you're making an easy pin. Is the mentality more for approach or putting, or do those go one in the same? Because thinking about a guy like Colin, and and he might have his own issues because there's there's some talk that you know his back is a little messed up, and who knows how many of the sessions he'll be able to play. But a guy that you know, if if he's ever able to figure out the putting, he he's as good as anyone out there. Um, so you know, could he benefit from some some easier pin placements in terms of of putting? 
So I think he could, I just think his advantage because he's the best iron player in the world when healthy, um, his advantage is just nullified really is what it comes down to. So of course there's always that. Yeah, exactly. So yes, there's, he'll probably stuff a few to three feet, three feet and tap it in. Um, but it's just that when these pins are in the corners and they're less accessible, he has such a bigger advantage. It's one of those things. Um, you know, they're also cutting the rough down. So driving accuracy is not as important. And, and the rough being lower with pins in the center really means that the accuracy of the drive matters so little. It doesn't matter what angle you're coming in from. It doesn't matter if you're in the rough or the fairway. And the greens are also un- unrelated to where the pins are. The greens at Whistling are pretty flat. Okay. Um, it's not a putter's course to begin with. So I think that it's all about bombers paradise and and emphasizing driver distance and not accuracy and so everything you'll see around the course will be like that there'll be some long force carries a lot of things of that nature so i mean you're you're saying bombers paradise and we haven't really mentioned bryson um i mean is is he i'm I'm not looking at the numbers is he the favorite for for points getter on the team so that's an interesting question so he's not and here's the here's the thing it's it's almost confirmed all but confirmed that Bryson won't be playing in alternate shot, which is the foursomes. And that's because he is so volatile and erratic and frankly, personality wise tough to deal with that playing alternate shot with Bryson would be a pretty miserable experience. Um, and, and that's whether just, he ask, hits- just ask Aaron Rodgers about that. Yeah. Yeah. So whether he hits his ball 400 yards and then has to go chase it down behind a tree, or he's simply trying to calculate the air density around him while someone's hitting. He, I think it's pretty guaranteed that he's not going to play alternate shot. Now I'll say this quickly, some easy bets in terms of people I like to fade, because you mentioned Berger earlier. Um, We've talked about JT Spieth, Xander Cantlay. I really like Tony Finau at this course. I really like Harris English. I like more guys on the U S than I don't like. So if you're trying to get a little value and if you're maybe in an individual matchup and since I'll be at this BC game and traveling on Friday, I won't have live odds as much, but if anyone's watching live, if Bryson somehow gets played an alternate shot, bet against him. Um, The pairing I don't love for the U S unfortunately that I think may happen is DJ and Morikawa. Um, Morikawa has been dealing with some back issues it's not clear that he's even really healthy. He was really out of form after his British Open win. Um, sorry, the Open Championship win. Uh, so if they are indeed together, um, I would fade that pair. I think non-singles matches, DJ is four and eight all time. So he just hasn't had a great Ryder Cup track uh, track record. So that's one to fade. Bryson playing alternate shot, I think you fade. And other than that, there's just not many holes in the U.S. team. So that's why I'm rooting for the U.S. I think the U.S. is going to win. They won pretty handily in 2016, and this is a very similar kind of course setup roster type event. Um, But if you're looking for a little value, and the value typically comes in betting in Europe on the road, I think those are the places to go. Um, If anyone wants to know where I'm pulling these pairings from (laughs) – I did not make them up and I don't know, have any inside knowledge. Big golf fan. I follow no laying up. No laying up has been tweeting throughout the week, basically 
based on press availability and who's playing with who and all these things, you can kind of infer where the pairings are. So that, that's kind of a, a helpful little resource. You mentioned the possible pairing of Murakawa and, and DJ, and you might want to fade them, but uh, if that is a pairing, you know, you're, you're going to really want to be not fading uh, the, the significant others following around inside the ropes on that one. Just a, a dynamite pairing there. Um, any, any other big picture? Any, anything else we, we need to hit on before we, we make a final prediction here? Hmm. I would say not, not really. I think one comment I would say is I think the course setup for the home team is, is borderline getting out of hand. So I think assuming the U.S. does what they're expected to do, they win, they win by a decent margin. I think it may have to honestly come down to a neutral party setting up the course in the yeah. future because Hazeltine in 2016, the U.S. won handily. France was almost comical on the U.S. side. I mean, it was so short, so tight. The rough was so hard that U.S. really didn't have a chance after the first session they won three to one. If U.S. takes care of business this time, I think you're probably going to hear a lot more of that chatter. I think the, Europe is better strategically at this event than the U.S., but there is simply a limit on their talent and their and the course setup. So if you're going to bet Europe to win, a fun one is to bet them to win, and you can bet by point margin. So you can bet someone wins by one to three, four to six, seven or more. So I think if you bet on Europe to win, you might as well bet them to win by one to three. I think that's about plus 350, something like that, because I don't see them winning on U.S. soil by more than three points. Um, now, similarly, if you want a fun one and you don't want to have to lay minus 185 on the U.S. and you want to root for the U.S., I think a fun bet is, and, and kind of dealer's choice here on the exact margin, but U.S. by four to six points is plus 375, and the U.S. by seven or more points is plus 400. Uh, U.S. by four to six points is kind of right in that comfortable territory of going out, taking care of business, doing what they should be doing. And for someone that wants to root for the U.S., be patriotic all weekend and just hope that nothing goes awry, I think that's kind of a fun bet to have and, and you get plus odds. I like that. So just to, to wrap up here, um, your favorite bets, they all make sense to me. On the Euro side, top point scorer, Victor Hovland at plus 700. Uh, both Cantlay at plus 750 and Xander at plus 800 for the U.S., and U.S. taking the cup by four to six points at plus 375. The last thing I'll ask, I still blame Steve Stricker for the 2012 Ryder Cup. Um, is there any concern that, you know, he just gets around somebody on the 18th green and all of a sudden it's Yip Central out there? Yes, I'm still mad at him too. Uh, yes, and, you know, Steve Stricker seems like a nice enough guy. It also seems like the only reason he was selected is because he's from Wisconsin and this is in Wisconsin. Uh, so he's just keeping the chair warm for Phil. Is that, is that where we're at? I would, I would find it hard to believe that we're not at that place. Yeah. I, I think Phil wants it so badly and it's hard for people to say no to him. So, yeah, but, uh, let's just say this. I hope it's not really close with like four matches left on Sunday. I agree. Hopefully if, if, if the betters are listening, hopefully it's us by uh, four five or six. Thank you so much. Uh, you, you brought it on the college football. You really brought it on the golf. Um, and uh, and I, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. Time will tell in the picks, but this was very enjoyable. USA all the way. That concludes the scoop and score.
School podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul.